You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Second Samuel teaches us that there's no personal situation beyond the Lord's control. God can restore. God can restore you today. God restores. God restores. Why don't you all say that with me? God restores. God restores. He loves to restore. David's legacy was a united people. David dies when Israel is united. And it's a strong kingdom. And he's going to turn the kingdom over to his son, Solomon. And Solomon's going to accomplish the one thing that David could not. Build a temple. The nation of Israel eventually fell away from God in the time of the judges and asked God for a king. Though God appointed Saul, the nation of Israel fell farther away during his reign. Yet, as Pastor Dave reminds you today, God longs to restore and renew his people. Through the reign of David as king, the nation will be restored. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 1. As he begins his message, the restoration begins. You are Turn into your Bibles to 2 Samuel, beginning in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel. I'm going to try to get through the first 16 verses. Uh, we'll see where we can go with that. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, 2 Samuel is a great companion book to 1 Samuel, um, and we're going to talk about that in this introduction. I call it The Restoration Begins. One of the major themes of 2 Samuel is restoration. The restoration of national unity for the nation Israel. The restoration of David after he sinned. The restoration of the throne to David after Absalom's rebellion. And interwoven throughout this entire theme, there's an emphasis on power, which showed that God empowered David and his people to accomplish his will. See, what happened under the reign of King Saul, everything was torn down. Everything was basically destroyed because Saul didn't have a relationship with God. You know that because we studied that in great length. Saul didn't have a relationship with God, so everything was torn down. Israel was still staggering. Israel almost went back to the days of Judges where everybody did right in his own eyes. Israel was having a problem. He tore things apart. But God used David to start putting things back together. And as I studied this, I had, I had the study written to my liking, but this afternoon as I was praying a little bit about it, all of a sudden the Lord really impressed upon me restoration. And it's just kept on coming back to me that God is a God of restoration. God is a restoring God. He is a God who restores. He restores life. He loves to take that which was dead and bring it alive. For you who are alive, but you were dead in your trespasses. You he made alive who were dead in your trespasses, says Ephesians 2. He made us alive. We were dead in our trespasses. God sends us times of refreshing. He sends us times of restoration. And he sends those to his people, even today. And we should all pray and believe that God, for seasons of revival and refreshing, we need those seasons of revival. We need those seasons of refreshing in our own lives. 
He seeks to restore mankind to himself. He, he wants to restore the years the locusts have eaten in your lives. He wants to restore relationships. He wants to restore health to the sick. He wants to restore the sight to those who are blinded by sin. God is a God of restoration. Our God restores. And how do we get this restoration? Well, Peter, when he's talking to the crowd in Acts 3, in the book of Acts chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, I'll do it for you. I want to read 19 through 21. Peter's talking, and people is giving, after he healed the lame man at the gate, beautiful, he's talking to the crowd once again. And this is basically Peter's second sermon after Pentecost. He's talking to them. And in verse 19 of chapter 3, he says this, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. Times of restoration. Times of restoration. How do we get this times of restoration? Peter told us, repent. Come back to the cross. Repent. Repent and do your first works, he told the Ephesian church in Revelation. Come back to your first love. Peter calls the crowd to repentance. He told them to turn around. Come back from your actions. And repentance simply means to turn. People get so repentance. No, it simply means to turn from what you're doing and turn towards the Lord. And seek the Lord. Peter spoke boldly about their sin. You've sinned. You need to come back to God. He didn't want to make them feel bad. It wasn't his goal. But the goal was encourage them to repent and to believe. Repentance doesn't describe just being sorry. You know that. It describes an act of turning. He talked about that in chapter 2. Return. It's a word of hope. Return and be restored. Be converted. Turn over a new leaf. Become new. If any man be of Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things are new. The old has passed away. Your sins are going to be blotted out, and this is like a benefit of your repentance. A benefit of your repentance is the sin, poof, is gone. All your past sins, all your present sins, all the future sins are gone. And I, like, I love to liken it to, and I've said this before, and you know, I repeat myself a lot, and must be my age. Anyhow... When I was little, at Christmas time, I always get that one thing in my stocking. It was always that board that had the carbon under it with the plastic paper on there. And you got the wooden pencil, and you made all kinds of crazy things. And when you didn't like it, it just went, and it was gone, right? God had this one for me about this big. It was enormous. It had all my sin on it. And it was all there. It was all there. And when I accepted Christ, he took it and went, it was all gone. All disappeared. It was all gone. And he remembered it was Noah. In fact, he took the whole thing and threw it in the sea. That's what repentance is. You repent and you turn from your sin and you started following Christ. It's a, it's a great, our sins are blotted out. Never returned to us. It's like wiping the ink off a document. In fact, I think it, help me if I'm wrong, um, it's either Colossians or Galatians where it says the requirements were nailed to the cross. Yeah, thank you. The, the nail to the cross. And think it, when, they, when you write, remember you write, remember the ink we used to write in and the water would come down and the ink would run? Well, when they wrote the requirements on the cross, his blood came down and wiped that all away. Washed that all away. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's all gone. It's, we've, it's been blotted out. It's gone. 
And then you can look at the scripture that says he remembers their sin no more. Oh my gosh, if that's not restoration, I don't know what is. It's a beautiful thing. So there are times that will refreshing that will come at the presence of the Lord. And this is a second benefit. If you're having a difficult time, if you're going through a difficult time and the Lord shows up in your life as you're praying, what a time of refreshing. What a time of wonder as he shows up and shows you wonderful things. And this is a second benefit. This is a second benefit when you turn to God and you repent. It's a restoration. But then Peter changes his thing and he starts talking about the restoration of Israel. The restoration of Israel. Yes, as Gentiles, as non-Jews, we can be restored through Jesus Christ. Praise God. He found a way. God made a way when there was no way. And we can be restored. But he's not going to forget the apple of his eye. He's not going to forget his chosen people, Israel. And there will come a time when he deals with Israel and Israel alone. It's called the Great Tribulation. It's seven years of woe, seven years of terrible times when God deals with the nation Israel. Why? To restore them. To restore them back to him. To get them to believe. They'll look on him whom he pierced. They'll look on the ones that they pierced. They'll, see the, they'll ask him, where did you get those wounds in your hand? Where did you get that wound in your side? And he'll say, I got them in a the house of a friend. And they'll go, oh. And they'll realize that it was Jesus Christ. And they'll repent and they'll come to him. Because in, 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 in Romans, what does it say? All of Israel will be saved. That seven-year period deals with Israel. And the good news is for us, those who have accepted Jesus Christ, before that seven-year gets here, we're gone. We're out of here. We're gone. We're with him. And at the end of that seven-year, we come back on horses with him. We come back to rule and reign with him. What a glorious time that'll be. So there's restoration. God's going to restore Israel. He's going to work in them again. He's going to pour out his spirit upon them. Just like Ezekiel said, he's, God is going to destroy the invading armies when they come, Ezekiel 38 and 39. He's going to destroy them completely. He's going to pour out his spirit on Israel at the beginning of the end, these last seven years. God's going to be working with them. During this time, the world will be like a holocaust. The world will be going, read, the, read Revelation. You know, at the very first time, the very first woe, or the very first thing that happens, a third of all people die. A third of the ocean gets bare. A third of the living things die. I don't want to be around during that time. I don't want to be around then. They build their temple again. They're allowed to build their temple. They rebuild their temple for the third time. And after three and a half years, the temple's built. And they're all praising whomever, I don't know if they're praising God, but they think that this man who let them build the temple is God. They think he's wonderful. But he goes into their temple. He goes into their temple and he declares that he is God and you must worship me. He stands on their altar. He stands there in the holy place. It's the abomination of desolation. And great woes happen for the last three and a half years. Great, terrible things happen. All for Israel. Why? It's a time of restoration for Israel. We can have our restoration right here and now by accepting Jesus Christ and walking in him and knowing him. The nation of Israel has to come to that. They'll see the Messiah. It says the heavens must keep him until the restitution of all things are here, until the restitution of all things. What's God going to do? He's going to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He's going to restore everything all the way through. He's going to restore everything. You look at Genesis and you look at Revelation, they're companion books. They're companion books because everything that was destroyed in Genesis because of the, of the curse comes back and is restored in Revelation. 
A wonderful look. It's a wonderful look. It's a wonderful thing. Our God is a God of restoration. And the major theme of 2 Samuel is restoration. When we looked at 1 Samuel, just like 2 Samuel, we don't know who the author is. We really don't know who the author is. We know that the main subject of the book is the reign of David as king, 2 Samuel. And as we study David's life, we can learn that God can and will use imperfect people to accomplish his purposes. Praise God. Hallelujah for that. Though he lovingly disciplines his servants that disobey him. David was a man after God's own heart. But we read in 1 Samuel 13, 14, we read that. But David was still a man. And he knew his weakness of his human flesh. In 2 Samuel, we are taught that, that there's no personal or national situation that is beyond God's control. No personal or national situation that is beyond God's control. So whatever you're going through right now, God's in control. God has it in control. And if you believe his scriptures, which I pray that you do, regardless of what you're going through, Paul told us, and we know, God works all things together for good for those that love them and are called according to his purpose. And we know. You're supposed to know that. You're supposed to know that. Book of 2 Samuel teaches us that there's no personal situation beyond the Lord's control. God can restore. God can restore you today. God restores. God restores. Why don't you all say that with me? God restores. God restores. He loves to restore. David's legacy was a united people. David dies when Israel is united. And it's a strong kingdom. And he's going to turn the kingdom over to his son, Solomon. And Solomon's going to accomplish the one thing that David could not. Build a temple. He's going to build a temple. David wanted to so badly. Another thing we can glean from studying 2 Samuel is that we lived in a shattered and fragmented world, as if we don't know that, right? And just like David did when he ascended to the throne. But God's desire, once again, is to bring all things together in Jesus Christ. Restoration of all things in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, verse 10. God is looking for men and women who will yield to his power and help restore broken lives, broken homes, broken churches, broken cities, broken nations. And as we study this amazing book, you're going to answer one question. Are you available to be used by God? Because that's one of the biggest things, availability. Availability is one of the biggest things. And 2 Samuel opens with the death of Saul. For 10 years, David was in exile with a price on his head. He had to run away from Saul at every turn, and he was waiting for the time when God would accomplish that's what he called David to do, make him king. But those long 10 years were not wasted, folks. Those 10 years were not wasted in David's life. During those 10 years, David grew in faith. He grew in godly character as God equipped him for the work that he had chosen him to do. We must be ever patient when God has called you to do something for him to equip you and get you ready to do that. You're looking at a prime example of a man being called by God and then waiting until God's timing was right. I told you the story before, 1993, I had been saved for three years. 1993, the Lord, through scripture, through a whole bit different things, basically told me I would become a pastor. Basically told me, and I said, great. 17 years later, 2010 is when I came to Calvary Chapel, Cape May, as pastor. 17 years of waiting. And I can't tell you that I never tried to do it myself. I can't, I would lie to you if I told you that. 
There were times when I tried to force my way in there, and God would slam the door shut. There were times when I did things, but everything wasn't wasted. It was all preparation. It was all learning. It was all growing closer to God, all experiencing God's love, all experiencing studying his word, growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Preparation. Everything that happened was preparation. That's what he did to David. When the day arrived, David didn't force himself on his people. He took a cautious approach. He showed wisdom and patience. He won the affection and the allegiance of the people. And he sought to unify the nation. It had been torn to pieces. And the psalmist writes in 78, uh, 72, in Psalm 78, verse 72, so he, David, shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. When we look back on 1 Samuel, we saw the Lord's providential hand in David's life. We saw the Lord's providential hand, and his men too. The Lord kept them from fighting against Israel. The Lord had kept them from fighting in Israel. Instead, the Lord had arranged a breaking point for David and brought him back to his senses. And David returns to Ziklag. He returns to Ziklag, which is where they were staying, to restore Ziklag, to get it back again. He's got all the wives and all the children that were um, taken captive by the Amalekites, and they come back to Ziklag, and they're there. And God led David to that camp where the Amalekites were. He gave them a great victory over the Amalekites, and they were able to bring back all the captives, and they were able to accept David's two wives and all the other men's wives and children. But David knew there was a big battle going on. David knew that there was a giant battle going on. In fact, remember, he wanted to be a part of that battle. There's a big battle going on between the Philistines and Israel. A major, major battle. David goes to Ziklag, and he awaits word of the battle. And this is where 2 Samuel begins. This is where 2 Samuel now begins. Let's look at verses 1 through 10. Now it came to pass. Don't you just love that verse? Now it came to pass. I love that verse. You having a hard time? Now it came to pass. Oh, you having a good time? And it came to pass. Okay. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell onto the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, The people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan his son are also dead. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan his son are dead? The young man who told him said, as I happened by chance to be on Mount Giboah, there was Saul leaning on a spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? I answered, I am a Malachite. And he said to me, Again, please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. David and his men are waiting for the results of the big battle. A man comes in from the battlefield, his clothes are all torn, Face is all dirty. He's obviously been in a battle. He seems a little bit disheveled. He comes and he falls at David's feet. He falls at David's feet. 
It's interesting, though, in Scripture, there are three accounts to this battle. There are three accounts of how Saul died in this battle. We studied them in 1 Samuel 31, and here in 2 Samuel 1. And remember, we looked at 1 Chronicles 10 to figure out what happened during this battle. And according to 1 Chronicles 10.4, Saul killed himself by falling on his sword. But this messenger told David that he killed Saul to save him from experiencing the agony and the humiliation. And 1 Chronicles 10.14 tells us that God killed Saul because of his rebellion, especially the sin of seeking a medium instead of seeking him. How do we reconcile this? How do we look at this? We have three different stories. Well, I studied this long and hard. I looked at all the commentators, and it's really interesting that for once, all the commentators agree, <laughs> which usually doesn't happen when you read commentators. They agree that the man was lying. They agree that the only logical explanation here is the man is lying. He's trying to make himself look good to David. He's trying to make himself look good in David's eyes. He was definitely on the battlefield, that we know, that we're sure of. But probably what they're thinking is he was searching for spoils, and all of a sudden he came across the king and his son. Whoa! And he recognized the king because of the kingly garb the king was wearing. And he took certain things. He took the crown. He took the patch, his insignia. He took the golden arm stand and all those things. He took them. He took the helmet. But many believe that he did not kill Saul from what we've read in 1 Samuel. And it's interesting here that the word fallen is used many times, no less than six times. When Saul began his reign, remember he was taller than anybody else in Israel? Remember we read that in Scripture? When he began his reign, he was taller than anyone, but he ended his career as a fallen king. He fell on his face in fear of the house of the Median and fell on the battlefield before the army, where David humbled himself before the Lord. And the Lord lifted David up. The Lord always raises the humble. He resists the proud, doesn't he? And he gives grace to the humble. The Lord always gives grace to the humble. Saul's pride and rebellion brought him shame. Even though Saul had been anointed king, it was a new day when he was dawning king, but he walked in darkness and he disobeyed the Lord. It's interesting, in verse 8 we read, David says, who are you? The man says, I'm an Amalekite. Now, on the other side of the coin, if we take the Amalekite story as being true, this could be ironic, and those of you who believe in karma <laughs> could be karma. Why? Why did God get mad at Saul? He disobeyed God by not doing what? Wiping out the Amalekites. He didn't wipe out the Amalekites when God told him to go into the Amalekite camp and kill every single one, remember? He didn't do it. And this made God angry, and God took the kingdom from him. So here you have, if this is true, an Amalekite killing Saul. If he'd have wiped them all out, that Amalekite wouldn't have been around to kill him. So the story goes. Well, I'd share that with you. Chew on that for a while. Let's look at 11 through 14. You are We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you, but that's all we have time for today on Assure Hope. We'd like to invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. You can explore more of this series in 2 Samuel or jump to another book of the Bible. Each one gives unique insight into God's plan for you and this world you live in. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. In this busy world, setting time aside to study the Bible in depth is difficult. So we'd like to make that just a bit easier. By subscribing to our podcast, you'll have sound biblical teachings sent right to your smartphone or computer. What a great way to infuse your day with God's Word. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you join us for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m., and you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. We're gathering in person, but we understand if you're not comfortable with that yet. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live. Just follow the link at assurehoperadio.com. We look forward to worshiping with you, either in person or virtually this weekend. That's all we have time for today. Tune in next time to continue this study in the book of 2 Samuel, right here on Assure Hope.